Hey, Brock, how are you? Doing well, John. How are you? I'm pretty good. I stumbled across a old video of mine. It was wasn't even that old, maybe like eight or nine months, and it was almost tough to watch. Do you ever like watch your old videos? Yeah, I've actually thought about like deleting some of the older ones because they're just so so cringe-inducing. Yeah, there you you don't realize, I guess, how far you've come or evolved as you're doing these things, and then you like it's like a jolt. Yeah, but I mean, if, if you go to any channel, like even you know, the tech reviewers with five million subscribers, go look at their early videos. They're hilarious. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, Marquez Brownlee. I mean, some you can. It's funny with him because you can hear his voice cracking when he started, and now he's like an adult. And like, yeah, <laughs> I just yeah, when he he was reviewing his uh, was like Logitech laptop or or whatever. It was H HP Pavilion uh, media laptop. <laughs> It's so it's it's kind of cool though because you know it's I think it's universal like you're just gonna suck at the beginning. Yeah. So why you have to why are you gonna delete your old videos? Yeah, I guess I wouldn't. I mean, I guess I guess if I had something that was I maybe it doesn't matter on YouTube, but on on websites, I think there's something to be said for doing like a content audit every now and then, and making sure that underperforming stuff isn't there is kind of consolidated or deleted because. And I don't know if it's the same on YouTube, but like, say you have a video where when people watch it, like it's still getting viewed, but when people watch it, they, they're turned off to your channel or they don't watch another video or something like that. It might be worth getting rid of that content, but I don't even know if you can get, you know, like if you had a, if you had an old video where the watch time was 30 seconds, it's probably worth deleting that one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's not a bad point. Try and. Maybe, I don't know if you can, you can't filter by watch time or retention, but that is an interesting point. I was just catching up on your latest uh, video on the greats versus the common projects Achilles. Those are the Achilles, right? Those are the Achilles retro, which I realized when I was linking to it, they have the Achilles retro and they've got another Achilles that are um, like a slightly lower top. And the, those ones are like $30 less. They, they're, they're like, they have Achilles for 410, then they have the Achilles Retro for a little bit more. And so I didn't re even realize that they had that many variances within their product lines, but they do. Interesting. I, I do like that colorway that you have, I think the best, where it's kind of like the, the natural sole and laces, but then the pure white uh, upper. I think that's a nice combo. Yeah, and I didn't even realize what the numbers meant until I was doing a little bit more research in the video, which I think is just like an interesting design thing to say, like, you know, this is my style, colorway, and size all in one. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And it is, like you said in the video, it's one of those things where, you know, nine, probably 99 out of 100 people wouldn't really notice that. But the one person who does, it's like automatic respect, like you're in the club. <laughs> Right, it's like if it's like if somebody sees your watch and realizes it's the Seiko, that there's 99 people out of there who won't realize, and then they'll be like, "Oh, hey, that's a Seiko. That's, that's a pretty sweet watch. What's the story there?" Exactly. Yeah. Cool. So. Or like Yeezys. Kind of there's cool. people that would call people out for having fake Yeezys versus having real ones, and you know, that's in the group. Exactly. Yeah, and I think that's. I think people that buy things like like common projects for the most part i'd say do appreciate not only quality but also kind of the the prestige and, and the brand and and but they're doing it it's kind of like watch people like yeah they're doing it 
not not because they hope normal people will notice and like be impressed. You know, I think it's much more of a of an inner circle type thing, which which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, I don't know that there is a sneaker you could buy. Maybe I don't even think normal people would recognize like a Gucci sneaker. There's no like Rolex equivalent of sneakers. You've, you're you're really trying to dedicate yourself to a, a sneakerhead audience. True. Yeah, it was interesting that um that for you there were I guess what you were basically saying in the video was that the greats seem like a much better value because they're almost the same at a much lower price, like what, $200 less than the common projects. But I got to say your point about the common projects being a little sleeker in, in profile, that might do it for me. That, that might be enough to spend the extra money. Cause I, I really don't, I don't like a, a super chunky sneaker. Yeah. To, to each his own there. I love the way that both of them look and it really does come down to the aesthetics. And uh, I think you are a little bit more of a, of a sneakerhead type of guy though. So you would be in that, in that audience. Yeah, well, I, I need to get there, man. I've, I've been, you know, I've, I wear Onitsukas and stuff like that, which are cool, but you know, they don't, they don't hold up. So um, it's the kind of thing that you're gonna get a couple of years out of it, but. I'd love to get some common projects. Did, did I? I think I told you I saw a pair for 150 at a Nordstrom Rack. No, why didn't you get them? They were like three sizes too big. I almost bought them just, <laughs> just to have them, like because they were such a good price. And I was like, nah, it's too. But yeah, I, I could sell them on Grailed or something. But I don't know. I, it, it was, it would have been an impulse buy. But but yeah, 150. Man, I've never seen that before. Huh? It must have been like the one size they couldn't get rid of, and then in a certain colorway, but yeah, the ones that I had were from Mr. Porter. Uh, and so I, I know you can find them sometimes for deals, but you might be searching for longer than it's worth. Yeah, I know I know they do go on sale every now and then on Mr. Porter, and I, I think possibly Need Supply or somewhere else, but yeah, it's, it's not the kind of thing you're gonna find, you know, every weekend on sale like J. Crew or something like that. I think you just gotta bite the bullet and do an unboxing. Maybe what you, I will. What are you gonna say, the $25? Yeah, that's true. Well, so they they run big, right? Uh, yeah, they do run run fairly large. I think the size that I had there was a forty four or a forty five, and so uh, I think the equivalent of that is a twelve. And sometimes I'm in a thirteen, so they don't run huge, but I think you do have to size down like you would with a dress shoe. Well, I'll look into it. <laughs> mm hmm. All right. I thought uh so someone commented under. I think one of my videos or possibly one of yours that we should get uh tristano from the urban gentry on the podcast and i think that's an excellent idea yeah have you ever like do you know him at all I, i've never actually no I think, but, I think we've commented but but i don't really know him no now that you say that i've had two uh two people link to the urban gentry in my comments also so all right that's on our list then I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm just overly interested in company founders because, you know, I, I can see why people want to talk to other YouTube YouTubers, but I'm very interested in speaking to these people who have started companies. So I don't know if there's any others besides like Andy Dunn. There's no other real founders that are as prominent as like an Andy Dunn, I guess, in this space. Yeah, well, who are the uh, I can't remember their names. I was just listening to a podcast about them, but who are the uh, Warby Parker guys? I think there's three of them. Oh yeah, I've heard their story, but I can't remember their names. I'd love to talk to them. I mean, I'm such a. It's funny. It's one of those brands where like, 
I wish they liked me as much as I like them. <laughs> like, I wish we could, like, I wish they'd, like, send me glasses and stuff, but I just keep buying their stuff because, uh, I don't know, I just think it's such a cool brand. And I've I listened to their, um, I think they were on the How I Built This podcast. Um, but very, very cool story. And, and, I mean, it was just an industry that was so ready for something like that. So that that would be among my... Uh, on my list of, of grail uh, interviewees for the podcast. Well, they were also the subject of a TED Talk not too long ago because the their business school teacher that they went to and like pitched Warby Parker basically looked at them and said, you guys are starting this company. You have additional jobs lined up as a backup because you don't have the full confidence and you don't have a website yet. This thing's going nowhere. And he decided not to invest in them. And it would have, you know, it basically cost this guy Fifty million dollars or something huge, but uh, yeah, they, their story is is fascinating. So at least you keep buying their stuff, and it's very well priced. Yeah, it's awesome. I I just got a. I've been wearing just one pair of the sunglasses. It's my second pair because, unfortunately, I lost my first one after a few years, which was like heartbreaking. But uh, so I got the same same pair prescription, and I just got a second one just to diversify a little bit. So now I got a pair of kind of Wayfarer style and then aviators, both prescription. And I think it's like with a prescription, I think it's like 225 or something, which when I mean, you compare that to the designers uh, labels and like the Ray-Bans and stuff, it's like half, half price. And I think better or as good, if not better in terms of design and, and uh, build quality. I totally agree. My wife has a pair of just regular prescriptions on those. You know, I've always been a sucker for round sunglasses, and I can't um, – I don't know. My wife's not really into them, but I've always been a sucker for, like, just full-on circle round sunglasses. But I don't know. I don't think those are fashionable, but I don't really care. Like Harry Potter style? Yeah, a little bit. And uh, I don't think I've shared – I did share a picture of the sunglasses, but I wasn't wearing them. And uh, I don't know why I've always been into those. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I've tried. Have you have you done their home try-ons? I haven't personally done it, but when my wife did it, she did two sets of the home try-ons. And so I've, I've held and, and used uh, a lot of their glasses in person. Nice. Yeah, I, I always do. When I, if I do a home try-on, I always throw in a couple pairs of, like, just kind of out there, like totally round frames or – you know, stuff that I, I probably wouldn't wear just to kind of see how it looks. And, uh, yeah, I, I think some people can really pull off the round frames, but I think you have to have a certain type of face. Or just uh, blind confidence. That's true, yeah. <laughs> That's what I was uh, at my tailor this weekend, and I'm getting one of my suits adjusted. And I had gone straight from work, and so I was wearing, like, a dress shirt and slacks. And she was like, man, you look effortless when you wear that suit. And I was like, Oh, thank you. Oh, that was very nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I'm taking advantage of these uh, these made-to-measure companies that give you credit for alterations once you get them. So I, I think okay. the tailors can only be happy about that. I mean, you're basically saying, hey, look, I can spend $100 on these alterations. Go for it. Yeah, exactly. You don't really have to pinch pennies and say, oh, you know, don't do that, but do this. It's like you can get a lot done for $100. Yeah, especially if you know the right tailor. Well, I want to see how I want to see a video on when you finish doing some of your own self alterations on your shorts. Now that you've teased that in public. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, 
my video tomorrow, which I don't know when this will air, but um, is a summer lookbook. So I haven't really done it. It's actually kind of a new style of video. I've never done it like a lookbook video. People have, have been asking for it. And um, I've been working with Anson Belts for a long time. You know, they, they sponsored this one. I figured since my audience kind of knows about them and I've done a, a review on them and everything, I just do like a fun video. So it's it's basically just like 10 outfits like in like seven minutes. Um, and I, I, I feature a couple of the pieces that I've done, some DIY stuff like shortening the sleeves and cuffing shorts and stuff like that. So it's kind of cool. It's, it's funny. I don't know if you've you ever tried like a new format of video on your on your vlog or Cavalier, but it, it took me forever. <laughs> I, I spent like all week on this video and uh, I think it's cool, but you know, hopefully other people will like it. Oh, well this, so this will be up on Wednesday, so it'll have been out already, but I'm excited to see it tomorrow because we're recording on Monday. So yeah, I'll keep an eye out for your, your own DIY stuff. And I did a lookbook a, a year ago with like summer shorts. And then I think I did one with like swimsuits. I've, I think what I want to try next is like a, like a capsule wardrobe video. Cause I do cover so many uh, companies and so many products, but I think to put them together and say like, here's a fall capsule or here's a like summer vacation capsule. I think that would, that would be interesting. That'd be really cool. Yeah. I've, I've done a couple like collections videos. Like here's a, here's a minimalist pants collection. Like here's an, here's an outerwear collection. So I want to do a few more of those to kind of round it out and then do like a full closet. Say so like, here's the like 30 item menswear collection that pretty much anybody could survive on, you know? Yeah. Isn't one of your bigger videos, the like minimalist shoe one that you did not too long ago? Oh yeah, yeah, I did a shoe one too, which most people agreed that twelve pairs is not minimalist, but I think it depends who you are, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to get narrow mine down to twelve pair. I get I need to build a shelf space just to hold all of my shoes as part of this uh, studio renovation project is to move a lot of my clothes into the same same spot because right now it's spread across half my house. I was gonna ask, like, well, I was gonna ask how many pairs of shoes do you have, and also. Where do you where do you keep everything? Because the backgrounds, like when you have, like I was showing uh, my girlfriend your interior defined video, and your house always looks very clean, like there's nothing out. So do you just keep it like that? Do you have a lot of storage, or how does that work? There's this like hole in the ceiling here, and I just throw things up into the attic all the time, and then I'll go dig. <laughs> no, I uh, I keep like four pairs of shoes in our closet. When you walk in, we have like a coat closet, and there's like my four pairs of shoes usually. It's like a pair of sneakers and then two pairs of dress shoes that I might wear that week. And then down in my basement where I have all of my computer and, and my uh, recording stuff in the, in the backdrop, I just keep putting shoes and clothes in different parts down there. And then I have a freestanding like hanger space. And then upstairs, I've got two closets. I, I might have like 35 pairs of shoes that are mostly dress and um I, I wouldn't, I would say like dress casual. And then I have a couple of pairs of sneakers and, uh, I'm, a lot of them are just very well taken care of. So I'm hoping to never buy shoes again in my life. Uh, I'll just resell them and upgrade them, but I like to have, uh, various styles. So whether it's the wingtips, the brogues, Oxfords, uh, I try to have as much stuff as I can, but a lot of it's a lot of it's now five years old because I bought a lot of it when I first started working professionally, and then I've slowly added just a couple of shoes uh, every few years. And so, 
I definitely need to pare down. It's tough. Yeah, it's, it's tough to get rid of stuff, but I I've, I found that like when I was doing this lookbook video, I was like, you know, I, I've kind of honed in on a color palette, and I'm kind of trying to, I, I think every guy or most guys have this idea in their head, this like ideal wardrobe that's like kind of minimalist and interchangeable. And when I was doing this lookbook video, I was like, all right, like my my casual summer clothes are are pretty much like this. I pretty much have what I need. It's very interchangeable. I can like mix and match almost everything. And I'd kind of like to have my whole wardrobe like that. So I'm slowly trying to get rid of the stuff that doesn't really fit in. You know, like I don't really wear red ever. So if I have a red shirt, like probably don't really need that. And then kind of fill in the gaps. But I have this this idea, you know, probably won't happen for another 10 years, but of this like kind of perfect, minimal, interchangeable wardrobe. It's all really high quality and uh, and very easy to, to wear. Yeah, I would definitely like to get there. I Before I started the channel, I wanted as many clothes of everything as I could possibly get. And the, then the more clothes that I got, I was like, I want less clothes and I want to have fewer, nicer things. And uh, I think that is part of what I want to get to by way of the channel is to say, like, here's the brands I've tried that are worth it and that I would only go back to and buy like two or three things. And then, boom, I've got to, like you're saying, a minimalist wardrobe. And actually, that's a good uh, point to who we'll be interviewing today, Mads. He's the founder or co-founder of Organic Basics, and he talks about how the fashion industry is built around this plan obsolescence and churning out new product constantly all the time. And once he learned about that, he went out and started a company to build clothes that essentially last and are higher quality, longer lasting. So. We're going to jump over to him. Today we're here with Mads Fibiger, and we are talking about organic basics. Mads, uh, you're actually probably our first international guest on the podcast, so welcome. Thank you. I'm honest. And Brock and I were just talking about earlier, we were talking about trying to like pare down our wardrobe, and I found that to be one of your most interesting points as to why you started Organic Basics, and I wanted you to uh, talk about that today, but we always like to start off with uh, where you grew up and where you started, so uh, if you just give us a little bit about your background as we jump in here. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm from Denmark originally, and I, uh, I used to live in Copenhagen. I uh, recently moved to San Francisco, that's six months ago, um, to open our San Francisco office over here. Um, while I did that, I've been um, studying at business school, at Copenhagen Business School, and I, um, I started the company while I was on my, what was that? like halfway into my uh, my education and I just finished it there. I got my MBA three weeks ago. And so I'm, I'm really happy that I finally managed to get that out of the way so I can like completely focus on organic basics. Um, yeah, so I, I grew up in Denmark um, and uh, for, uh, in this city called Aarhus, that's the second biggest city in Denmark. And after a while I moved to Copenhagen where I, um, which is, which is, a really really nice city and that's a city that I really want to want to live in again at some point yeah now where was clothing always part of your childhood or what kind of led you towards wanting to start a clothing line I was always into fashion um, I didn't know that it was something that I would end up working with at this point um, because basically the the idea of organic basics just started because I thought that the, 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 the market for men's underwear 
sucked. Like it was a horrible selection of these overbranded, made in China, way too expensive products that you could only find in these big malls where you, uh, yeah, you would see your Calvin Klein's, your Ralph Lauren's, where you would actually find out that the quality wasn't too good. It's it's made under like horrible. Much of it is made is made in. Um, in parts of the world where they don't live up to the um, to production requirements that that are should be like the base for all um, human standards. And what we saw was that that in general terms, the the, the fashion industry as as it as it works right now is is scaling up their production. So that means that they're producing more and more items each year. And the last year, I know they manufactured like 80 billion pieces of clothing which is like 10 years ago, it was 20 billion pieces of clothing. So we see this, this, this um, scale up of the manufacturing in, um, in, in, in the clothing industry in general. And what's, what, what's, what's bad about this is that 50% of all of these um, items being manufactured are actually thrown out in the same year. So our perspective on, on fashion is that it, it should be something that you, um, you try to, to, to buy good quality and you try to buy items that are not that seasonal, that, that, that you can keep for a long time. And, and in that way, that creates sustainability. Um, secondly, we found out that we, we wanted to create, create an, um, an organic product because we saw it one, in the very beginning, we just saw it as a hygiene factor because these, these, the clothing that we make being underwear, socks, t-shirts and so on, that, that's the clothing that you wear every day and it's the clothing that you actually wear almost 24 hours per day so it needs to be made um, with with no chemicals and with no horrible things that can be absorbed into your skin and we realized there was there was no such product on the market um, <clears throat> so we started out and and obviously it's it's um, I mean say it's you don't really know where to start when you begin because none of us had any any like real textile experience. So we started off by manufacturing and uh, we started off in China and uh, that didn't work out. We uh, we tried to get the certificates to make sure that everything that we did was, was done under the, the right circumstances and done uh, in, in terms of our sustainability standards. But we quickly realized that, that all of these um, manufacturers, they... Uh, you need to go down there and visit them and make sure that everything's in order because they'll just tell you what you need to hear. And um, secondly, we tried to manufacture in manufacture in India, and we actually got the certificates certificates that we needed in order to um, to to produce. But then we realized that these certificates were actually something they had just borrowed from another manufacturer, and um, so that didn't work out either. So now, now we're currently manufacturing in Turkey because it's close to, to Europe where we have our main offices so we can easily go down there and, and, and check up that all the standards are in order um, and make sure that we're not actually falling into the same group of, um, of fashion companies that are part of making this the, the second most polluting industry in the world. I did find that interesting when I started to look at your site is you are one of the few smaller companies that I've come across that has worldwide fulfillment and worldwide shipment, multiple currencies. Does that come out of you trying to address a large part of the market very early? And what what is the reasoning behind that? So we're trying to address the mass market, basically, because we believe that 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 
I think previously, when you looked at sustainability, there was something that you associated with these, um, with probably Patagonia and these very outdoorsy and some would say um, hippie type of brands. And um, what we believe that fashion should be made sustainable and sustainability can be made fashionable. So therefore, we can actually address the, the larger part of the market. Um, the reason we, we do we do like um, global fulfillment is because we, we, we were born online. We were not in any stores. We only do online sales. And for us, it's, it's not very difficult to actually set up the supply chain or the distribution to, um, to actually serve the entire market. That being said, um, you need to um, be very focused when you enter a new market. So we have the option to ship on a global level but our marketing efforts must be very focused in terms of starting out with one country or in, um, in the United States, you would start out with one city or even or one state because um, otherwise you're, you're, you're definitely going to fail if you, um, if you try to go too broad from the very beginning. Well, when you say we, it sounds like you, at this point, you have a, a team and, you know, people in, in various places around the world and, you know, you're in the States now. When you first started, did you start this with the team? And and if so, you know, how do you decide who to partner with and who to work with? Because it seems like those first those first partners and those first hires are probably really big decisions, right? Yeah, it's huge decisions. And I, I think that I, I, I had the company by myself for a bit less than half a year um, before my now partners joined in. And what I really want to say is that being a solo founder sucks. It's so difficult because when you, you wake up every day and, and, and so, some days you feel like this is a great idea and I'm, I'm so motivated to keep on working on this and the next day you feel like your idea, idea sucks. And like, so you need someone to help you, like um, help convince you every day that this is a good idea and we're gonna keep on working on this. So I, I think that's one of the major, like obviously that's one of the major milestones in the company when, when I actually got some partners in who, who wanted to work on this as much as I do. And now that's, that's such a long time ago. So I feel like we, we formed the company together because I, I only had it for myself for such a short period of time. And it, it was nowhere like near what it is now. And, and, and nor did I have the vision that we have now because when, when we started out, I, I just wanted, I just, wanted to make some better underwear than, than what was on the market. I didn't have a big vision for what it could be. Um, and I think that that vision is something that will just slowly be created as, as, as you get a better understanding for the business you're in. Now you started this when you were in school. How early on did you either go out to friends and family or go out to look to raise some money because manufacturing isn't cheap and uh, you're, you have a beautiful designed website and everything else. When did you start that process? So what we did was we was we were actually I think we were the first Danish company to ever use Kickstarter, um, and uh, that was quite difficult because back then Kickstarter was only open in the United States. So we actually had to make a U.S. company in order to um, to use the platform, and and that was actually the way we validated the idea um, because we it was, it was a completely new platform back then. But we were all like very um, into the entire um, startup way of thinking, um, where you where you, you you try to test your product on as many people as you can very early in the um, in the process, and you try to gain feedback very quickly in order to 
um, speed up your process of achieving the, the, the right product. Um, so we use Kickstarter and it, it's a great, I think probably the most of the listeners will know what Kickstarter is at this point, but, but there are like three main reasons that Kickstarter is a great way of introducing new products because first of all, you don't have to make the manufacturing before this. So you can actually find out if there is a demand for your product. Secondly, the audience on Kickstarter are extremely good at providing feedback and they're, they're like those type of first customers that you would want because they buy into the vision and then they, they, they are extremely engaged and, and extremely willing to give feedback and, and, and just help you build your product with you. And then third, because we didn't have any funding, it's, it's an extremely good tool to actually secure funding and then you, you can just start manufacturing afterwards. It's a great way of managing your cash flow in reality. Yeah, I think about half of the people we have interviewed on here have used Kickstarter some capacity. And now that you say that, I think I remember you mentioning uh, you have a TED Talk and I think you said you were the most successful Danish company to this point or Danish Fashion brand. Yeah, that was actually that was actually our second Kickstarter. We've we've done three now because we've just seen that that every time we do a Kickstarter, it's because we're not sure if this product is going to work, and 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 instead of just go on and manufacture like the, most manufacturers have have uh, certain minimum order quantities, especially in terms of basics. It's difficult different if if you have a um, say if you want to manufacture a jacket, you can probably manufacture 100 pieces, but when you do basics and we try to experiment with a lot of new materials and, and especially in these new materials, we have minimum order quantities of many thousands. So instead of just go ahead and, and, and manufacturing a large batch, which we do not know if it's going to sell, then it's, then, then, then we introduced it on Kickstarter. That's what we did with the, uh, our Silvertech products um, last year, last summer, where we introduced uh, some products where we had actually taken organic cotton and we had mixed it with pure silver fiber in order to make antibacterial and, and, and in, in the very end, odorless products. It's, it sounds like you guys have uh, really mastered the, the art of the Kickstarter launch, which I, I've noticed a lot of, a lot of cool new, you know, innovative brands have, have done that where they're, they're either using it a pre-sale model permanently, or they're using it like you're saying to test out new product ideas. But obviously you guys don't just sell via Kickstarter. So like, what are some of the other things that you're doing, uh, to get people to your website and to buy your products these days? Like is it social media, are you doing influencer stuff, buying ads, How, what, what are you doing that's working? Yeah, so um, we, we, we've always been like digital first and we've only existed online. So we, we, we've used only like, actual, we haven't spent $1 on marketing where we haven't been able to track whether, what, what consequences this marketing effort have had for us. Um, and, and therefore we, we've been big users of Facebook advertising from the very beginning, that's that's to this day still our largest source of revenue. Secondly, we have uh, used a lot of different display marketing online, um, a lot of different retargeting services. We use um, affiliate bloggers as well um, as something that you can uh, where where you simply just give out your 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 products to uh, to different bloggers, let them. Uh, review it, let them take pictures with it, and, and, and if they like it, they'll share it with their audience. And lucky for us, we uh, people seem to like our products, so it, it, it gives a good way of, um, of sharing the products. It's actually the model, um, I don't know if you know uh, Daniel Wellington, that, that, that's, I'm pretty sure that that's how they made their entire like um, 
fortune that it's just only through like uh, affiliate programs. Oh yeah, we've uh, we've discussed Daniel Ten on here a few times. What do you, what has been one of the I guess challenges or one of the hardest things you faced so far as you've been building the company? Something you might consider you've uh, failed at so far? We we failed at so many things um, because we, we we put really optimistic goals all the time. And uh, lately, I've been we've been raising a lot of money, and I've been talking to probably. 30, 40 different investors and VCs. And uh, so many times, like I, I go out of the room after a conversation with, with these people and I feel like the stupidest, stupidest person in, in the whole world. So, so like I, I failed a lot in terms of just like pitching and selling the, the company. But, but as, as long as you don't like make the same mistakes again and again, then, uh, then I think it's all for the better. And then I guess that's the San Francisco startup mentality way. It's very um, different from in Denmark. People don't like to fail in Denmark. Um, and uh, secondly, I think one of the major things that, that we did in the beginning, which was a mistake, was that we didn't have any few um, clear and measurable KPIs that we worked from. We, we used a lot of vanity metrics and we used a lot of like, we, we tracked, oh, we got so many followers on Instagram or we, oh, we just got mentioned here and here where in reality what we should just track was our revenue because that, that's, that's, that, that's what will most um, precisely define how well you're doing or if you're moving forward. So, so I think that obviously the, the KPIs will be different from company to company, company to company. Yours would probably be the um, average monthly listeners or something like that. And because that would show directly how well you're doing. And I think it's very important to identify this KPI very early on and then work towards um, improving that on a daily or weekly basis. I really like that one, uh, the vanity metric thing. That's that's a very good point. What keeps you going so far? So you said some days you wake up, you think it's a bad idea, or sometimes you walk out of the room feeling like the stupidest person. What keeps you just shooting for the moon here? I think we have a really good team. We're really good at like um, motivating each other. And I think that's the, the, the thing with uh, waking up and, and feeling like it's a bad idea is it happens rarely now because we, we, we've... Um, We've been so lucky to to have a lot of success this this last uh, this last year at least. So it, it rarely happens now, but but it's it's, it's such a long fight. And um, I think a good team is is what you need in order in order to fix these issues because you, you will you will always run into like obstacles that 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 will make you feel that type of way. And and you need someone who's on your side who can like make you uh, see through it and and realize what what you actually have in your hands. Speaking of teams, and this is asking selfishly because this is something I've been thinking a lot about lately. Have, have you ever made just a bad hire, you know, or, or partnered with the wrong person, or or done something? Yeah, in, I think in that, that that's, department. That's one of the like the major mistakes we did early on. That was we um, we were we were really price sensitive, and and we we always tried to bargain us our way to to like the cheapest option. When it came to hires, partnerships, um, consultants, and services, and like the distribution and so on, we always try to like find the very cheapest option. But that's just never the way to go because you like uh, I one someone once said to me, if you, if you pay with peanuts, you get monkeys, and then that that's 
that's that's what happens. So you <laughs> you have to be willing to like try to work with the best people always. Even though it's more expensive, it it will save you so much time because otherwise they, they can save you from making so many mis mistakes that that you will make if if you work with uh with with, with just mediocre or, or like bad partners. That's great advice. I like that quote about uh. If you spend peanuts, you get monkeys. That's great. I'm gonna I'm gonna write that one down. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's. I think it's a I think it's a major mistake that most people do because in in the beginning that's because often you 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 try to uh, get partnerships or consultancies within industries you don't really understand. That's why you try to pay for some help, and 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 therefore the only real like way of evaluating them that that you can understand is their price because. It's understandable, but but the quality of their work is so difficult. So, what what I learned, what I learned was that don't just like um, try to Google your way to the, to the cheaper uh, uh, partners or um, or collaborators. Always like try to to reach out in your network and ask ask for people who who, who has worked with different partners. Get, get get feedback from them instead because it can save you so much time. That's, that's great advice. Thank you. I love that, Matt. So what are you excited about for the rest of the year? I'm actually I was surprised you said you moved out to San Francisco. That makes sense why you're answering some of my messages when I thought you were on uh, Central European time. So what are you excited about for the rest of the year? I'm really, I'm, we're entering the U.S. market in, uh, in a couple of months. Like we, we, We've done two market tests now, and everything is, is proving to, to work really well. Um, the way we do it is we... Um, we, we we basically just try to make our performance marketing um, advertising over here, and, and we try to track the numbers, the metrics, what's our customer acquisition cost, how how, how well is people receiving it. Do we, we talk to a lot of U.S. customers, like trying to find out how, how did they experience the shipping, how is the is there any differences from the European sizing to the U.S. sizing issues, or so on, so on. Uh, just try to get a lot of feedback, and uh, I think we're doing like the the big launch in uh, in a couple of months, and I'm really excited about that. Um, secondly, we're we're introducing some new really cool products, and we're looking into some some new very innovative materials that that I don't think you'll see any other brands using. Oh, very cool. Well, new materials is like my my middle name. I love to check those type of things out, so I'm excited to see what you have coming and everybody can check you out now. So this is a very exclusive early on uh, look at organic basics. And I think that's the kind of uh, people that we have listening is they're into this stuff. So I'm very excited. We'll point people at organic basics. I did a video. I bought stuff for my wife. I, uh, I grabbed stuff off the site and I've been enjoying the silver tech. So looking forward to seeing what else you guys have up your sleeve. Glad to hear that. It's, uh, it's going to be really good. All right, Mads, thanks for coming on, and we'll check in with you again soon. All right, thanks. Thank you for listening to the Buttoned Up Podcast, a collaboration between John Shanahan of The Cavalier and Brock McGough of Modest Man, and we'll see you next week.